Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. And on this week's episode, we will be joined by the former, and it's even weird to say that now, former ESPN host, Kenny Main, as he talks about his exit from ESPN, his future, his charity, Run Freely, which was founded with the mission to provide financial support for veterans with limb salvage conditions and in need of a solution to avoid amputation, and of course, his interview with Aaron Rodgers. But the big story of the week, over the weekend, came courtesy of ESPN reporter Diana Rossini, who reported Sunday morning, before anybody else, that the Atlanta Falcons were trading Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans, along with a sixth-round pick in 2023 for the Titans' 2022 second-round pick, and a 2023 fourth-round pick. So essentially, Julio on a pick for two picks. And what it amounts to is that Julio Jones wanted out of Atlanta, told the Falcons back in March that they had to trade him. And we've seen more and more of that this offseason, starting, of course, as we mentioned, with Matthew Stafford and Carson Wentz, and continuing on to Julio Jones, who got his wish over the weekend. Now, the Falcons had a fairly strong market, but not as strong as they would have liked. If it was, the Falcons would have gotten back a first-round draft pick. But they never got offered a one in 2022 in exchange for Julio Jones. There were a number of teams interested, and there are a number of teams that should have been interested. There are teams that should have been calling and did call. The Los Angeles Rams called. The San Francisco 49ers called. The Philadelphia Eagles called. The Chicago Bears called. A bunch of teams called. Why would you not call if a future Hall of Fame wide receiver were available? But the Tennessee Titans put an awful lot of legwork into Julio Jones, speaking to a lot of people that have coached him, worked with him, and essentially became enamored with the idea of joining him on an offense with another former Alabama standout, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown, and Ryan Tannehill to give the Titans a real threat to advance in the playoffs. So Julio Jones goes to Tennessee. He gets what he wants, and the Falcons get back a couple of picks as they now hand off their future to Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. That's the new tandem in Atlanta that the Falcons will have to lean on Kyle Pitts came in as the most highly regarded and the most highly drafted tight end in the history of the NFL draft. No tight end ever was drafted higher than Kyle Pitts in the history of draft. Think about that. And Calvin Ridley really has come on. And so they're hoping that Matt Ryan's final season or two with the Atlanta Falcons, however much longer he plays there, that they will provide him with the type of production and offensive firepower that Julio Jones did during the time that he made his stake to a Hall of Fame spot in the future, which one day he will get. But Julio Jones, now a Tennessee Titan. And now we get the mandatory mini camps as we record this Monday morning. We'll wait to see if Aaron Rodgers shows up in Green Bay. I say no way. I say he won't be there. I say the Packers will excuse him, which will excuse the $93,000 worth of fines going forward. And now that Julio has been traded, the focus will shift and remain on Aaron Rodgers this summer, which leads us into our next guest, Kenny Mayne. But before we get into today's episode, I have a few things I need to tell you. First off, 
Be sure to tune in to Caught Offside and our FC podcast as they preview the European Championship and the United States trying to qualify for the World Cup. That's Caught Offside as well as our FC podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also, The Ultimate Fighter is back, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is on ESPN+. Featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega coach men's bantamweights and middleweights who have put their lives on hold for the chance to pursue their UFC dreams. Stream new episodes every Tuesday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com backslash UFC. And now we are joined by the former host of ESPN, a man who had a legendary run at the network, one of the most unique and distinctive personalities on all of television, not just sports television, but all of television, the great Kenny Maine. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. I'm going to get to the Run Freely Project, but talk about what your departure from ESPN was like for you personally, emotionally, and everything that you went through there from the time that you announced it to the time that you actually executed it. Man, there's a lot going on there, but I think, <laughs> I think it is a weird way. It mostly on the emotional part, it brought me back to how I got there, which I touched on in that article I wrote for the LA times and some other interviews. And, you know, I probably talked to you about it previously. Like I was a real long shot to ever, get picked up by ESPN. I'd beg my way in. And it reminded me of my football career, which wasn't much either, um, where I had to beg my way, you know, hey, look at me, look at me. I was a skinny little kid in ninth grade. I could throw circles around the other guys, but I was 5'8", 135. And they're like, he doesn't look like a quarterback, you know. Eventually, I was 6'2", 135. No, was, you know, I filled out. I got bigger, ended up playing Division One a just because I never quit. You know, I wasn't any big star. I'm not pretending like I was all American. Well, I was in JC actually, but, but at four year UNLV, I was just on the team. I was second string. But my point is I still got there, right? Like I just refused to accept, you know, the negative uh, viewpoint of what I could or couldn't do. And it was kind of like that with ESPN for a while. They noticed me off the 1989 Joe Montana to John Taylor touchdown pass, a left to right post, uh, the field going right to left. I remember I can see it. Uh, John Candy on the sidelines, that whole thing, right? And I sent, yeah. I sent that show to Al Jaffe, who was then the talent coordinator. And he he I remember he, he says, hey, that was good. Send us another one. We want to see if that was a fluke. 
and he, and he said it in a funny way. Like I, okay, I like this guy. And, and I sent him more and then I became a total nuisance. I left that job that I was in for some reason <laughs> and pursued ESPN. You know, they'd say, Hey, go interview, uh, you know, Ken Griffey. He hit two homers last night. We want it for baseball tonight, the next day. Right. But I would also turn in separately. Like, here's the story you could have had. Cause I, I would write a couple paragraphs showing them where I would have gone with that story. Right. So I was like, you know, turning in extra credit essentially. Right. Yeah. And some people probably thought I was an idiot and I'm sure they did. And there were others who are like, well, this guy's not bad. And he really wants it. He's proving to us pretty much every time we talked to him that he wants to come back here, we should give him a look one day. Unfortunately, it took like four and a half years. So I finally sent the letter to John Walsh that was sort of made famous recently with the reprints of it about, please check the appropriate box. I'm trying to determine my future. Stand by the mailbox contracts on the way. Actually, I got it. I could read it. It's up on my mantle. Hold on a second. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead and read it. Why not? Here's a picture of it. It's framed. Yeah. First one. So I said, please mark the appropriate box return as I'm in the process of planning my future. This is the John Walsh, who was then one of the top uh, officials at ESPN. Um, and the first one says, it just hit us. We love your work. Contracts on the way. Stand by the mailbox. Next one said, keep up the field producing. We'll call you when we need you. Last one said, we'll consider hiring you by the time ESPN 5 hits the air. And this is not the original original because that one, John checked the middle box said keep it up and then that's march 4th of 94 and i was called on april 1st and hired three weeks later and you still haven't framed by the way that that thing you sent him huh i mean it's it was notable it was and i always tell people go for do something different not because you're trying to be different but be different enough already that you know what i mean there, there's kind of a fine line there like don't put on an act don't be something you're not but whatever you are do it in the most unique way that kind of gets somebody's attention, you know? So well, you obviously, you obviously got somebody's attention and you're hired in April of 1994 and you stay on at ESPN from 1994 through 2021. So obviously something must've went right during the 27 or so year run that you had at ESPN. What would you say to all the people in any line of work, not just television or journalism or broadcasting about what the key is to staying in one place for 27 years. I don't know. I mean, the, the funny thing is now that I've left, I'm okay. I, I love my 27 years. I love the people there. I love working with you. There's all sorts of things I'll always love and have affection for. And I'll see a bunch of guys golf probably in 10 days when I get back. Right. I mean, like, it's not like I'm disappearing and I don't have any relationship with, and I wish everybody well, they're still going to do, you know, great shows, great reporting. Like I just won't be there. I'll be doing something else. Um, but as far as staying, um, I don't know, like I had a, a couple different cases previously where I almost left before on my own, just like, I wonder if I should just go see what's in the world. You know, like I was going to literally leave with no job and it never made sense. <laughs> you know, like that's just too good a deal. And it's too, you know, I got family, all right, kids and, yeah. bills and so for the security, I was always like, this is, this is pretty good. I should keep doing this. I like the job. I even liked the job two weeks ago. It was fun doing late sports centers. Like there were no complaints, but in this case, it just came to, uh, you know, as the, as the cliche goes, it was a business decision. It wasn't personal. They said that to me and I said that to that. Yeah, I agree. It is. You guys have set an over under. I'm going to go play the over. 
Right. But 27 years, though, is a long time. I've been at ESPN now for almost 12 years. And it feels like in a nice way, like I've been there 32 years, like I've never done anything else. Right. I don't know that I'm going to be at ESPN for 27 years. Well, it's funny because I kind of lived a second life and maybe the third and the fourth once I got there. See, I, I started going backwards. I never answered your first question about the emotions because I took it back to the beginning, but th- that really was the emotion. Last thing I talked about on the air was my first show, how nervous I was. I thought I was doing freaking moon landing or something with Walter Cronkite and it's just ESPN two and it's two minutes and nobody's even watching hardly. Right. But I was like, Oh, I, was, I had been on TV for like six years, you know, cause I'd, I'd had that gap. And Dennis Sidori, a uh, great man, great director. He passed away. Uh, so rest in peace, Dennis Sidori. He's my director. He's in my ear. And I start talking too fast before it's my turn. Like there's supposed to be like an animation leading to the bit, you know? And I'm like, yeah, and welcome, you know, whatever I'm saying. He is rookie. He just says rookie. <laughs> and it made me giggle just like you. Boom. Now I'm on the air. Now I got a big smile. You know what I mean? Like he loosened me up. And that, that just was like a fitting way to start. After the struggle to get there, immediately I make a mistake. He immediately gives me a hard time. It gets me loose. And, you know, off I went. You know, you're taking me back. It's funny because everybody goes on TV right away. And when you're first going on TV or you're first writing a newspaper article, as I did, or first writing a book, as I've done, whenever you're first doing something, you want it to be just perfect. Yeah. You're thinking so much about it. You care so much about it. And after a while, it just becomes... Very natural. And it doesn't take long to get there to where when that tam- TV camera light goes on or you pop up, you're not even thinking. It's just all natural. But you weren't thinking back then. I wasn't thinking back then. And it takes a little bit of time to get into that spot where you're entirely comfortable and your natural instincts take over. Correct? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know. They knew what I was coming in because they saw my tapes from Seattle. And I'd say I took a crazier at ESPN because I had more stuff that I could do, right? More resources and more opportunities at my station in Seattle. Um, you know, I, I tried to do some fun things, but I was at a little local independent station. There, I had one guy working with me, you know what I mean? Like it just mm-hmm. wasn't the same thing. But as an example, we would show the, the baseball scores from around the league. And I had my dog eating a baseball, panting, and we just put dog days of summer and the scores kind of scrolled over, you know, to us, that was different and unique because the other guys weren't doing that. It wasn't that funny, but it was just cute. It was like, oh, here comes that funny dog again. And here comes the score. Clever twist. Yeah. And the funny thing is I was already doing what we call at ESPN shot sheets. For those who don't know, it's, it's basically a shorthand description of a game. So first inning, Griffey, action homer number 25 mariners up three nothing right as an example griffey doesn't play for them anymore but that that was my best so i was kind of doing a shot sheet at my little station in tacoma right i was already kind of doing my version without even knowing what espn did so when i made the transfers like oh i yeah well i was kind of already doing this model i made that up on my own i thought out in seattle because a lot of people would write highlights they would say you know, type out, literally type out the word in the first quarter the such and such team did such and such. And if you are ahead or behind, your highlight sucks, right? But if you do it the ESPN way or the way I was doing it, you should be able to stay. You might fall behind or you get ahead and you slow up or you speed up. You know, there's an art to it. Um, but yeah, I got more comfortable with time. You know, you're always better on your second day than your first day. And your third, then your second, yeah. and your fourth, then your third, and so on and so for forth. Your so, <laughs> or your 27. So 27. 
So when you look back now over those 27 years, what will you remember most about them? It's like a Tom Rinaldi question. I'm just <laughs> That's about as high a compliment as you could pay a man there, okay. Kenny. Like, uh, well, the highest achievement is it's commingled. The highest achievement, I was in on some Emmys with not myself, you know, like with the team, like with Count, I was yeah. sports center. But it was when Stevie Wonder's band members recognized me and acknowledged oh. me. Like, How, where was that? What what happened there? That was uh, he did a concert tour where he was um, playing songs in the key of life. That was the whole album. And the whole album was was the concert, right? And I got to go, yep. got to go backstage. The highest um, moment was also with him. I went down. I don't know if you remember Tim Scanlon. He used to be in yep. baseball. And and I call him up and I say, hey, I don't have anything set up, but I want to try to get Stevie Wonder to be in this thing for the All-Star game. I was playing in the softball game, right, for a number of years. They had the celebrity softball game, then the home run derby, then the All-Star game. And he's like, go for it. I said, but I don't have anything set up. I promise you, like, it's going to cost money for the camera, the hotel, the flight, like it may be nothing. Yeah, I think you'll pull it off. Good luck. And I was like, okay, that's the kind of boss I want. So I go to Pitt, Pittsburgh, I'm sorry, not Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. And they're having this big concert. It was for uh, relieving African debt. That was the point of, of the show here and in, in, in Europe. It was called Live 8. And Stevie Wonder's trailer is, is behind this fencing. And I'm trying to get anybody to, you know, get close so I can kind of, hey, I'm with the SPN and we're trying to set this thing up. And I can't even get through the gate because I have no credential to do so. And they're waving at people to come into his trailer to say hi. Like Will Smith goes in and Natalie Portman goes in. And then the guy's looking right at me, and I think they're asking me to come in. And I'm like, how do they know who I am? This is a long time ago. And all of a sudden, Don Cheadle walks by me. They were waving to him the whole time. But the good news is I ended up getting a lanyard from a Teamster. I ended up upgrading my access. I got to his guy. He said, you pitch him yourself. And Stevie ended up doing his line, which was, I can't be at the All-Star game. I have a high ankle sprain. <laughs> That's the favorite thing I did in 27 years. The Stevie Wonder moment stands out to you. Is there a story or a show that you worked on that stands out to you? Well, I'd say it would be hard to just pick one, but, you know, we did the Main Street comedy show, Aubrey Plaza and Allison Becker, John Glazer, Ben Schwartz, uh, leaving out people, Chris Smith, Lenny Jacobson, all these people were in this thing that was supposed to be a version of my life at ESPN and we obviously exaggerated, to, you know, for the comedy aspect. All of them went on to Parks and Rec and many other things. Wow. So that was a great period um, of shooting and, you know, didn't even take that much time. We, we put together a bunch of those. The wider world of sports where I traveled to all the unique sports around the world. The years of doing the fake NFL stories. That was a great period. I love the horse racing. I love the magazine. It's funny. I'm putting Sports Center behind those just because. I'm not really putting them behind necessarily just I'm listing it late because I kind of did that. You know what I mean? Like I did that and I did that and I did that. These other things were shorter periods of time, more unique and probably more fun. Not that I didn't like sports center, but you know, getting to go to Italy and cover the Palio is more fun than the sports center. And you've done so many different things and you've done all the late night sports centers and the regular sports centers and this and that. When did you know though, that your time at ESPN was being noticed and recognized by others? When did you know that Kenny Maine had landed on the map? Kenny Maine had become somebody 
noticeable. Follow what I'm saying? Like there are little moments there that I think all of a sudden you're like, ESPN is a pretty big place. It's a pretty big platform. Yeah. I mean, I think that was pretty early. I didn't think of it like I have some big ego because of it, you know, nothing like that. Like I still think I don't have any ego really. At least I hope I don't show it. I'm very confident at what I do. I think I can write. I think I'm not horrible as a communicator or on TV or whatever, but I don't think I don't go to places and drop ES. Hey, I'm with ESPN. Can I golf for right. free? Like, <laughs> don't, I mean, who does that? Trey Wingo? I, I can't say, but other people probably may really? be. Really? There are people wow. who have used their wow. quote unquote ESPN thing, you know, for restaurants. For, now, if somebody wants to welcome me and, oh, hey, we really love you. Come on in. You know, like I always feel weird about cutting to the front of the line for anything. Like Absolutely. even at Disney. At Disney, and we had a blind guy and a guy in a wheelchair, and I, I still felt guilty. You know, we were like dual qualifiers. My nephew's blind. You can look up uh, the blind football announcer piece I did with him for Funny or Die, um, and and my good friend Mark's in a wheelchair some of the time. Anyway, yeah. So I don't know. Like it was weird how you'd get noticed because you wouldn't expect it. Sometimes when it happened, you know, you'd be at a whatever, be going through an airport or somewhere and people do oh you're the guy you know sometimes they don't know your name they got me confused with rich eisen or trey um i even got a Stuart scott once and i thought the guy was being funny right i said all right you yeah you know i'm not Stuart. he says you can't fool me man i know who you guys are they just get the names mixed up and they give you any name you just rattled off a bunch of names there who was the most talented person you work with and i'm not trying to put you and get you in trouble and and have you forget somebody but is there one person that stood out to you that you work with them, that their talents left you breathless, so to speak. I, you know what? I don't think I'd want to, I'm not going to evade, I'm not saying I'm evading the question, but there were so many with such different things. Skill sets. Yeah, exactly. Stuart was, Stuart's a big ham and we all recognize that. We laughed about it. Like, you know, we could be anywhere. I do the same thing, maybe not quite as much as he did. It reminds me of my friend, Mark, who I referenced earlier. Just, you know, we're at a grocery store. I'm now going to do the stupidest thing possible, slide down the aisle or something. Or, you know what I mean? Just wants the attention. It's funny. People laughing. And I remember saying, somebody asked one of those things on Twitter, describe what you do without saying what you do. You know, those little things. And and mine would have been, I'm now doing professionally what used to get sent me in the hall or what sent me out to the hall in fifth grade, right? What? Can I think of what's the most absurd thing that will make the room laugh <laughs> right now? Like the quick line, whatever that's going to be. And I wasn't as polished in fifth grade, you know, I had a big ears and a worse haircut than now. And, but Mark and I did a lot of time in fifth grade. Um, but yeah, the, across the board, there's so many, you know, Keith Olbermann, great writer, you know, oh. like quickly can synthesize things that most of us aren't even quite getting our head around. Stuart, very entertaining. Rich Eisen, very talented. John Anderson, another great writer. Bouchagras, really funny on the air, like a great companion, you know, that loosens me up. Michael Ease is good at so many things. Stan and Neil, Linda. I mean, I I, I just stopped the list and I should have gone on, right, for a while. Jamel Hill, I could keep going on and on. So I didn't put anybody in any order. I'm just kind of spitting out names and apologies to the, you know, 280 <laughs> people. You know, that's why I didn't want to answer the question because now I've not – Mentioned Bob Lee, Dan Patrick, you know, on and on and on. <laughs> All our good reporters. We mentioned Rinaldi. What a great writer. Oh, God, yeah, so good. 
So, so I'm not answering the question. I'd like the whole thing stricken from the record. <laughs> you got it. Uh, let's go to the last show. That last question that you asked Aaron Rodgers. Hey, just last thing. Last time we did the interview together, you told me to go heavy in the cryptocurrency game. I did. Uh, we're down 40%. Then I lost my job. Gretchen just wants a new comforter. F*** you, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I love you, kid. Did you think of that in advance? How far in advance did you think of that? Um, I daydreamed that a day or two before. Like that'd be a. I knew that'd be a funny way to end it, but I didn't write it down, and I almost forgot to do it. So I, I screwed that up almost. Um, yeah, I didn't. All those interviews, there were no scripts or prompter or you know, just I know them all. So I knew ahead of time. Hey, I want to hit these four things, and then you see where the interview goes, right? And I mean, similar to this, you probably wrote down a few things, but were you probably something I said made you ask the next question. That's how you're supposed to interview people. But yeah, at the very end, it just hit me. Oh yeah, do that thing. So as he's wrapping up, I pretend like we're done. Oh, hey, one more thing, Aaron. You know, and I, I referenced the last time I interviewed him and, and did the big joke at the end. He didn't know it was coming for sure. No, he, he, that was a genuine reaction. Like, like you got me. That was, that was a silly way to say goodbye. And I really was doing it more for him in the room. I didn't even think they'd run it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you do something silly just to crack people up in your mo in the moment, right? Just we're done. And they were like, all right, we got to run this. So they just beeped it out and ran it. It was fantastic. It might've been the single greatest last question that I've ever heard asked of anybody <laughs> ever. It was outstanding, Kenny. <laughs> well, I was proud to be involved. I, I, and I also, strangely, you could argue we got some real quote unquote real right. But, you know, and I was going to ask it the way I asked it, but like I told people before and after, I could do as straight as can be. I could be as silly as can be. I could be somewhere in between, which I probably was. He's going to answer how he wants to answer, as are the other players, right? Nobody can beat the information out of anyone. I can't make Aaron tell me precisely what he's thinking and what he's exactly going to do and how he thinks it's going to turn out. He was kind of just doing a long philosophical answer about people versus institutions. And I tend to agree with his point, not just at Green Bay, but at many places. So I think that's where he was really going with that answer. I'm curious as a reporter, because obviously you have a relationship with the guy. So you ask him to come on your final episode and you want him to come on because you have a relationship with him because he's Aaron Rodgers, because he's the great player and person he is. But then you also want to ask him about some of that stuff. You can't have Aaron Rodgers on with everything going on and not ask something about what's going on. Right. So how difficult was that for you to ask this of somebody you have a relationship with yet straddle the line where you're not making them uncomfortable? Yeah, no, it was a weird position to be in. And then you add in the weight of the ESPN bosses. Hey, we know it's your last day, but can you get some fucking Aaron Rodgers questions for us? We want to rerun them on sports. And I mean, he, I sent him a note. I said, just, we're not planning anything. Just be prepared for everything. And he knows what, I'm, you know, I mean, like, I'm not going to screw him over at, when course. he's doing me a nicety of that's a pretty big name to get in your final show. Same with Marshawn and Jamal and Sue and Fred McGriff. Right. But I kind of know them all, except for Fred. I knew the least. I've only met him the one time. He was amazing, by the way. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, Aaron didn't complain afterward. He, he wrote something funny, like that was amazing or whatever he said. And he wasn't offended. And, and also, I think he wants to answer some things seriously. He didn't want to only go out there and clown around and talk about UFOs and Bitcoin and whatever else. It was, it was worth 
We, we kind of did it all, in my opinion. Now, some people could criticize me. He didn't drive the point home hard enough. And that's fine. I don't really care. I did what I wanted to do. It was my last show. And if I wanted to only ask him about his wedding, I should have been able to do that too. But it did seem appropriate. All right, let's. And I came back to it a couple more times. In fact, the last one was joking. I was like, are you demanding a trade? You know, I was, I was like over the top. I didn't know if he heard that one, but yeah. <laughs> He said what he said. I don't know what's going to happen either, by the way. No idea. So who knows? Well, I was going to say to you, knowing him the way you do and knowing the situation the way you do, what would be your prediction about what is going to happen there? I don't, like, this is almost like the question of name your favorite sports center talent where anything I say, you know, I know nothing. I, I don't know what he's going to do. Nothing would surprise me. My answer is that. But let me say this. The fact that you don't even know that the question is a question and remains unanswered is interesting enough, right? The fact yeah. that there's not clarity there and there is uncertainty there. Oh, 100% things are uncertain. But, you know, he isn't the first Green Bay quarterback to put the team through, you know, right? Like, he he watched it. He watched <laughs> he watched Favre do it for how many years in a row? Was it three years in a row? It feels like it was three. Maybe it was two. But that, that was more bizarre, in my, my opinion. In this case... He, he seemingly made it known, hey, try to move me. I'd like to try something different. That's what it seems like. I don't know you. Because the thing is, I have never asked him on the side, hey, tell me what's really going on. I want, you know, I've never pushed him. Like, he'd say it if because there's a chance he doesn't know. Maybe he's conflicted. You know, should I just go back and be the good guy? You know, Or should I be, you know what, I'm standing up for myself and I'm not even showing up. You guys, I'm going to force a trade. Like, that's an option. I'm not showing up at all. I'm going to open a paint and sip shop in uh, in Northern California and just relax. I don't know what he's going to do. Were you aware of this prior to the report of the draft day that all these issues were percolating? Um, only rumors of, but not, no, not, not as deep or as expansive, but I knew that he had some for several years, kind of like, how come they, like they don't even spend up to the salary cap some years. Right. So I think, I think he was already kind of like, how come they don't do more? How come we don't hit the gas more to not that they's had he's had good receivers. He's had good running backs. They've had a good, they've had a lot of good players. But you could say that about a lot of teams, right? That everybody who's in the league's pretty good. Now, what a lot of people don't know, Kenny, is that you do a lot of tremendous work for Run Freely. And I gave a description of the charity uh, at the outset. Run Freely, for those who don't know, uh, was founded with the mission to provide financial support for veterans with limb salvage conditions and need of a solution to avoid amputation. What propelled you to do that? And how is the foundation doing overall? Well, lately uh, we're doing great. Like the news <laughs> of my departure. Um, it's, it's funny and great at the same time. Like uh, we, every time I did an interview like this, I would find a way to mention it or it would just come up. But I broke my leg in college, 1980, last play of a game. We were at Oregon. I'm in the game. Last play, we're down 33 to 9, I think was the score. I decided one more. We called it a 95. That was like triple go routes all over. And, and why not? You know, why not try to make it 33-16? Guy sticks his helmet on my ankle. Ball comes out of my hand. It was a wet day. Horrible pass. And I have a fracture dislocation. Yeah. So I played the next year. And this, this is funny. We're like wrapping all these mini stories into one here. The next year I played, I was second string to Sam King. Sam King led the nation in passing yards. We beat mm. BYU at BYU that year. 
uh, to Jimmy Sandusky, a post corner. Jim McMahon was hurt. A guy named Steve Young was their quarterback. <laughs> yeah, funny, right? Like all that. Came. I didn't play that game. Sam threw for like 500 yards. So after the season, the Seahawks gave him a free agent deal, but he was going to go to Canada instead. My coach said, hey, if you like that guy, you should look at the backup guy. He probably has a better arm. Sam was a better quarterback, right? That was pretty much the book on us. And I go throw to Steve Largent, if you will. He he happened to be in wow. the building. That was my tryout guy. Wow. And you know, yeah. And I signed a contract, but I ended up I worked out for three weeks in Kirkland, but I ended up failing the physical for this damn ankle, right? They put me on a machine um, to measure the strength, and I was thinking it was just like a forty or a bench press. Or, you know, I was trying, yeah. right? I would have cheated. I would have gone hard on my bad leg, seventy percent on my good leg. I didn't realize what was going on. But they were measuring the difference between my good and my bad. And the variance was so great. They're like, we just, you know, what? Doc, the doctors just said, we can't pass you. Like, your ankle isn't isn't going to last or you're going to get hurt worse or we're going to have to pay for it or whatever. So I was out. I got a TV job five days later in Seattle as kind of a gopher, right? Took a while to move up. Took three or four years. I get on the air. Then I do sports. Then the whole ESPN thing. So I, I mean, I think all of that matters in the makeup of me and how I look back at everything, the appreciation I have for what it all meant, and also kind of where I am now. Like, I've gotten more attention in the last three weeks than I have in 27 years. Is, you were talking about outside. Is that more you know, in three weeks than 27 years? By far. Wow. Yeah, I mean... I'm not saying I didn't, somebody wouldn't call, hey, do you want to be in a commercial or what? But I'm talking about in a condensed period. Well, you know, you know what it's like, Kenny? It's like you died to a certain extent. That's what Ben Schwartz said. I don't like using that word, but sure. Uh, he said, how was your electronic funeral or something? That <laughs> no. no, And I was so touched, like truly, earnestly. You know, I didn't know how many people would even care. Like, like whatever, some other guy, old guy left ESPN, you know, give us the next game. And just the outpouring and the sweet words and from athletes, from strangers, you know, from colleagues, you know, all over the place. So going back to the run freely, though, because I got sidetracked, the ankle is what the point of that was. I felt the physical years and years later. I'm now 50 something. And I was considering amputation. I'm not wow. kidding. Like it hurt so bad. Uh, at this period of my life, I was doing the football stories. Matt Doyle, the producer with me. and and oh my God, he he just shake his head as I'm like limping off the plane, trying to, you know, just drive your ankle into a place where it's bending up again because I have like a locked ankle, of, like a self-fused ankle essentially. And the flight's not good for it. And it, it sucked. It, it was a bad period, dark period. And I got advice from the amputation people in Seattle, Harborview Hospital. They said, you're too young. We wouldn't even, we would reject you. We're not doing it. You need to go try something else. Go get a better therapist. I, we got a connection to get a better brace, you know. So I go to this guy, Nino Pribic. He's a he's a, a chiropractor here in Kirkland, Washington. And he saved my life. Like, he brought it back to life. He he made it look better. He, he manipulated it. He kind of got it going again. Then I got a brace. But a few years later, I got a better brace. So this thing's called an exosim. And it's funny. I told Jim Zorn, who has a similar problem on his left ankle, he got the same first brace. I said, Jim, you got to go to the second guy. I, right now, you have a station wagon, and I have a Ferrari. Like they're two different devices. No offense to the other guy. It's you know, it does it for some people, but 
I can run with this one. I'm going to go play golf. I'm out the door after this question, I hope, and get to golf. And I can walk with Gretchen. I can hike. I can sprint. Like, it's amazing. So the day I got mine is is late fall 2017, I believe it was. Gretchen and I immediately, like, let's do something good. Like, I cried for two hours when I got mine. I couldn't believe my gift. We started a foundation called Run Freely. We've raised money a whole bunch of different ways. Jamal Crawford just gave $1,000 for each of my 27 years. So he just donated 27,000. Um, whole bunch of people have done nice things. And and the $5 ones matter as much as Jamal's 27,000, right? $5 to one person is 27,000 to Jamal. So it's all relative. But we have, we have enough money right now for six new veterans. And I just got to call the next one in line uh, out in Port Angeles, Washington, which is on the Western Peninsula. She was so sweet. She almost made me cry on the phone. Like I, I couldn't, hear her answers without getting emotional. And sometimes I choke up talking about it myself just because it truly changed my life. Now, I don't need it day to day. You know, I'm not in great pain anymore where just to go to the store, I'm, you know, I just wear flip-flops all the time or slippers or barefoot. Um, but if I'm going to do something athletic, I have to have it or my ankle will totally blow up. So it's huge gift to me and, and I'm really proud that we're doing so it. So the fact that you departed ESPN became a huge benefit gift to runfreely.org, correct? 100%. You, you, you can't, yeah, you can't state it any other way. My departure at ESPN, six new people are going to have their lives changed. So that's pretty good about it. And so. how much money came into the foundation over the last three weeks since since you died? Uh, like 50000 something like that. And that doesn't sound a lot. You know, there's other people that hold big galas and they bring in millions. We're, it's me, my Twitter, a girl, a girl named Mara in uh, South Carolina, and my wife. And people like you, people, you've done it. I appreciate that. Many times I'll send you on the side, hey, can you retweet this? Field Yates says, you know, a whole bunch of people have done that. And that's very helpful. Just keep the word out because I can't tweet it seven times a day. I mean, I can, but people get bored. Like, is that all you do? Like, you know, so you got to find the right way to mention it. Who knows? Maybe somebody listens to this and says, that's pretty cool. We're getting veterans walking again. Screw it. I'll send in some money. So think about all that your departure did. It allowed you to ask the greatest exit question to an athlete. It allowed you to be saluted for your 27 years of work. And it allowed you to raise 50 plus thousand dollars and help six people for runfreely.org. You should have quit a long time ago, man. No kidding. <laughs> but I haven't quit fully. People keep getting mixed up. I have left ESPN, but I'm not retired. I'm just doing something different. We just don't know what's going to be different. We don't know what different is, and we don't know what next is. Yeah. Well, we're we're good through. I also have something. I'm not. I don't know if I'm supposed to say the other. Go I, ahead. I, have couple, I have a couple of minor, not minor. I have a couple of great opportunity. What am I talking? About? I have things to get me through the summer. Let's say that. So don't fear. For, and I never wanted anybody's sympathy anyway. Like. Yeah. You know, because the money that I turned down is still a lot of money. And there'd be some people who'd be like, what a jerk. How could he not want to do, you know, Marlon scores for that much? You know, right? Like I get people looking at it that way in the same way that people look at, oh, my God, such and such player. How could he possibly want to get traded when he's got it so good? And he's, you know, it's all individual decision, right? You get to decide for yourself. Well, so so let me ask this question: What would be the dream job for you if if you could create that? What would be the dream job? I think I think I'm already going to do it. You already have it. I know. I don't know what it is. That's kind of the beauty. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have something. 
that's sort of our base, if you will, speaking for my wife and I, by the start of football, right? There'll be a thing, whatever that thing is, like, oh, okay, we, we can get college payments and we can have food and, you know, like get by, right? And, and it'll be likely related to football in some fashion and other sports. But I'm going to keep making commercials. The Olipop people, free shout out, um, earned media. That commercial comes out as we tape this a little bit later. And I got a feeling we're going to do round two with them. And hopefully that leads to a, my real goal is to do a Super Bowl commercial. I want to make and be in a Super Bowl commercial. If, if I was goal setting, I'm not a huge goal setter. Like if this doesn't happen, I didn't hit my mark or whatever. But I've seen the other Super Bowl commercials. And you can match up with any of them. And let me say this. If you ever need an extra uh, a football reporter in a commercial, like somebody to step in to play that role, <laughs> I'm willing to do that, Kenny. Okay. I am willing to do that. We'll have that talk. Keep that in mind. And again, I want to tell, I want to ask everybody out there to please donate a dollar, $5, $10 to runfreely.org. Kenny's already raised an awful lot of money. He's going to raise even more. Again, his, uh, his death, his demise has been very unfortunate, but it has been a blessing in disguise. Correct, Mr. Maine? Indeed. Yes. And friends like you, and there's so many people I truly will admit, it, it feels weird because I keep saying, us and oh, I mean they like I'm not you know I mean that's you know I even had a dream about it last night first dream but it was a weird one I was at a I was with a bunch of football players but I was still helping I can't remember which producer like hey I'll try to get them to call like I was still trying to help my buddies I think that's what the message was right like I'll try to help you set up that interview even though I'm not there anymore um no I'm good I'm happy I'm content it was a good run and now I'm going to do something else. Like, it really isn't that big a deal. Like, just a guy changed jobs and he's going to do something else. And I'm very bullish on, I'm not trying to, like, brag about, you know, like, my station in life. Or, like, apparently, there were a lot of other people who noticed. So that's, I'm very fortunate. Well, don't get me in any cryptocurrency. That's all I got to tell you, okay? Just, <laughs> and the most minor. I talked to my nephew, who's a genius. He graduated from University of Washington about uh, those uh not nfts non-fungible yeah, yeah. tokens yep. that's a whole nut i mean so basically right now see this water bottle yeah if i went like this see the noise yeah okay now you guys record that and then you blockchain it and do right you preserve it and make it unique somebody might spend 10 million dollars because they wanted to hear the fiji water shake and me spin it right i mean that's art is art so you never know well, you've been an artist for an awful long time, 27 years. The artwork will continue on elsewhere. We thank you for your contributions to ESPN. We thank you for your continuous contributions to runfreely.org. We thank you for your time and from coming in from your porch in the Seattle area so that we didn't have to listen to the wind. And thank you for being my friend. Thank you so much. I'm going golfing now. I'll see you. Bye. <laughs> Take care, Kenny. I appreciate you. And there is the great Kenny Maine, the founder, once again, of Run freely.org and you can see what a unique person and individual he is and why he lasted as long on television as he did because nobody nobody did it the way that kenny main did all right we're coming off a week in which friday i posted a video that again some people question i thought it was kind of odd i don't know if anybody ever saw it i posted it on my twitter feed my instagram page facebook of my daughter at field day she was doing some hurdles she got over the first hurdle, 
went to go jump over the second hurdle, was taping the whole thing and went flat on her face, but got right back up and finished. And so we were looking at the video, her, me, my wife, and we all, to my daughter's credit, were laughing about it. It was very funny. I said to my daughter, Dylan, would you like to post this on social media? She loved the idea of it. She edited the video. She said, here you go, dad, post it. We posted it. And what happens? First of all, people noticed that people outside were wearing masks, which they didn't like. Story for another day. And that I posted the video. Do you really think I would have posted that video without my daughter being a part of it, that I would shame her publicly? It's just so funny when something gets posted in the public forum these days that people have the reactions they do. That's on a public front, on a private front. Saturday night, having some dinner with family. Got a text from a former colleague at the Rocky Mountain News who now uh, is at the Las Vegas Review Journal, a man by the name of Norm Clark. He's the gossip columnist out in Las Vegas. And here's the great thing. I got hired by the Rocky Mountain News in September of 1990, moved out to Colorado at the age of 23, didn't really know anybody, went to work out there. And one of the stories that they had me work on was Colorado was trying to get a baseball team. And Norm Clark, my friend Norm Clark, was the guy that was leading the search to get that story. And Norm was struggling and they assigned me to help him. And at one point I gave him the contact of the guy that turned out to be the source that told Norm that Colorado was getting a baseball team. And Norm got to break the story and he texted me unsolicited Saturday night, 845. And this was the exact text that came in 30 years ago today. The biggest story of my career, June 5th, 1991, the Rocky Mountain News. Big thanks to Rocky Mountain News sports editor Barry Forbes for his solid guidance. He loaned me a young new reporter that day, a kid named Adam Schefter, who helped free me up at a critical time. Thank you, Adam. When I got that text, it took me back 30 years. And right then and there, I saw what a big story could do, the effects it could have. And that story for Norm changed his career, changed his life. He loved it. He still remembers it to this day, so much so that he texted me a picture of him holding up the Rocky Mountain News with the headline, it's Denver, Miami, which were the two cities that were awarded baseball teams. And it came 30 years ago last week, which is incredible. Uh, Norm told me later in the text that night, he said, um, I was a month away from 49 years old at the time, which basically he's five years younger than I am now. Celebrated that night with Sherry Vasquez, a woman he was dating. Champagne and French dinner, one of the highest of highs. Probably a tie with Britney Spears' quickie wedding for biggest stories. Britney was bigger from a global recognition. The high from that story was a catalyst for going to Vegas. I wanted stories that would equal or top the high of June 5th, 1991. Knew I'd be able to repeat it in Vegas. Perfect time and place. And he's doing a book now. Anyway, on and on from there. But Norm and I, my good friend, were reminiscing about that on Saturday night. 30 years goes quick and big stories always leave their mark. Or right, I want to thank Kenny Maine for taking time this week to join us on the podcast. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this together. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back with more interviews, more information, more insight. Until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.